Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to this special program here on AM 1260, The Rock, Cleveland Catholic Radio. We are uh, pleased to welcome to uh, AM 1260, The Rock, Mark Hauk. And Mark's going to be with us for about the next half hour, talking about uh, his experiences, uh, he and his family's harrowing experiences of last year. Uh, now that uh, the dust has settled somewhat from that, where do we go from here with uh, Mark Hauk and uh, with the pro-life effort and with his uh, uh, efforts uh, to, to, bring, uh, to bring the faith and to bring many other things into, into real focus so that we can move past uh, some of the bad experiences that, that have come to us, learn from them, and learn how to deal with them. Mark, uh, welcome to the program. Uh, we're glad to have you uh, with us here today. Great, Dick. Thanks for having me. Uh, this is Dick Russ, our producer is Dan Dealey. Uh, Mark is with us in Cleveland at the time of this uh, program uh, to speak at the LifeWorks Ohio Fundraising Annual Banquet, and that's uh, something that draws hundreds and hundreds of people. LifeWorks Ohio, and full disclosure, I and my wife have been active with the organization as board members and volunteers for many, many years. Mark is our speaker, and uh, obviously the, the subject is is life, is uh, pro-life. And Mark, let's start uh, by talking a little bit about where we might go from here in Ohio, looking back at the results of the election three days ago, in which Ohio voters, by a margin of about 10 or 11 percent, decided that they would enshrine so-called abortion rights into the Ohio Constitution, virtually irrevocable, immovable, and uh, by what many legal experts believe, trumping all existing pro-life laws that have been passed in this state in the last few decades. So, Mark, as we look back three days, we've got to look ahead more than that. What are your thoughts? Well, sure. Uh, as I was pondering this coming out here and knowing that this was planned many, many months prior, I, I see God's hand in it. And, of course, the day after uh, the issue one in my state, Pennsylvania, I went to my local abortion facility. And that's, and that's really the answer is, like, look, we have a lot of work to do. We just got to continue to, to persevere. And um, I went to that abortion mill, you know, like I normally do every Wednesday, and then we had a save of a child. And, and so in those moments, you realize that this is where we need to focus. We need to focus on what we do. Um, we can't control some of these things that happen, uh, you know, that are uh, beyond our ability to, to have uh, influence over. So we just persevere. We are knowing that Teresa said, we're called to be faithful, not successful. And so the sun did rise Wednesday morning. I think it rose here in Cleveland. Um, and so, you know, we have that work still to do. So, you know, it's not that we, we want to, you know, uh, not lament over it. We need to do that. We need to see what we did right, what we did wrong, and how we can improve. At the same time, look, God is sovereign over all this. And so, you know, we have to have great trust moving forward in this post-Roe era, knowing that the other side is attempting to, you know, redact all that and, and, and codify Roe. And so we know that it's the, the, the battle has truly just begun. So if we felt like, you know, somehow that was a huge victory, i got to tell your audience, and I don't know what it was like in the Ohio post-Dobbs, but nothing changed in Pennsylvania post-ops. Babies were still uh, being aborted up till 24 weeks. So in my state, there really wasn't a difference. 
So there's a lot of states like that. And now that, you know, you have this issue uh, here in Ohio, look, uh, the, the line is drawn, right? We know what we have to do. So let's get to work. Yeah, that's uh, excellent advice. And even though for so many people, it's it's kind of hard to have that perspective. So shortly after a bruising uh, defeat sure. at the polls. Understand. So Mark Hauk, uh, everyone, uh, virtually everyone knows your story on how about 14 months ago, your family's home outside of Philadelphia was uh, battered into by about 20 heavily armed federal agents who, uh, I guess the word could be held and terrorized you and your wife and um, and your entire family, kids down as young as what, two, three years old. And so we're, we're, we're about 14 months out. I, I'd, I'd like to ask you, how is your wife, Ryan Marie, and, and how are the kids? Um, uh, I, I, feeling is not the word. How are they dealing uh, inside themselves with what happened to all of you 14 months ago? Sure. Well, it's not like it's a daily trauma for them. However, there is trauma, and, and there's post-traumatic stress as a result of it. And we all have with that. And uh, kids are resilient, yet at the same time, you know, as we filed a, a lawsuit on Monday against the DOJ, we, we had to review all this. And, and in reviewing all of it, we realized how traumatic the results are. And so we have children that you know, need sleep medication to sleep at night. We have children that um, are alarmed anytime an unannounced guest comes on the property, as is my wife and myself. My wife has had uh, numerous panic attacks as a result. I mean, just place law enforcement next to a child after an M16 gun has been pointed at them uh, by a law enforcement uh, personnel. You, you just imagine what's going through that little little heart and, and their mind as they, they recognize it. You know, am I safe? So, you know, this is a daily battle, and it comes up and rears its head. Every time my children hear me talk about it, there's usually tears. So you, you know it's, pretty, it's, it's very much still raw to them. Yeah, you never know who is going to be, um, you know, thrust into the front lines of this battle. Uh, yourself, uh, you, you've been on it uh, f- for a long time as a, as a pro-life uh, advocate, speaker, uh, a, a very effective uh, person in that regard, and, uh, and now your family— has been, I guess you could say, forced to, uh, you know, be part of this in whatever way, uh, if just by what happened there. And I know your your oldest son was active with you. It's um, sure. Uh, you and I talked about this uh, about a week ago on the phone. It's uh, it's sometimes hard to imagine how God has called each or any one of us to a certain role, and then ask us to do our best, as He did in the case of virtually, at some point, every member of your family. Oh, for sure. Look, that's, that's just it. You know, we're all called to uh, love God to the best of our ability and, and listen to Him and, and do what He's asking of us. You know, I was given uh, a little bit of an analysis of the particular judgment. At the end of our life, each one of us will have a particular judgment. And, of course, it's not the final judgment, but it's the particular judgment that each of us get at the moment of our death. And this particular priest was sharing this with me, and he said that um, your particular judgment, uh, some theologians believe that God will reveal to you at that judgment time what He created you for, what He wanted for your life, and what He wanted you to do, your mission. And then He's going to show you what you did. And that delta between what you did and what He wanted for you is really your judgment. 
And so I thought, you know, that's kind of where we're at right now. And I, you know, whether I was supposed to take that plea deal from the government or not, um, I recognize that, that I would be held accountable for the things that I did and didn't do. And certainly no one would have begrudged me taking a plea deal from the government. But uh, I, I knew that there was a greater good here. And the greater good is the effort that we're talking about, which is the pro-life movement. And so, um, yeah, we have to follow that call and we have to fulfill our role in, a, in it as well. Something, Mark, that you mentioned a few minutes ago is uh, very new in this evolving story, and that is your lawsuit against the Department of Justice. Um, This is something that is uh, uh, very, very serious. I mean, you you ask for a certain monetary amount, which is, uh, you know, cannot make up for all the the, the traumatic things that happen. But somebody's got to take a stand. How did you uh, how did you arrive at the uh, conclusion that this was necessary and you know, fighting City Hall, it's, it's, you know, it's been equivalent of a joke for decades, maybe centuries, but you're fighting, you're fighting a Department of, of Justice that, you know, has put a target on your back. How do you pull this off and how would you come to that decision to take such a, a, I believe it's a large and dramatic step? Well, look, the, the injustice that was rendered on September 23rd and then actually leading up even to the trial, uh, in 2023, January, um, we knew that, that, that all of it was, was a tremendous injustice to not only our in the Constitution, what we stand for, but to, to obviously me and my family, that the children didn't deserve this, my wife didn't deserve, deserve this. And, and so what you have to know and what you, you have to recognize, I think the audience should know, that the government in the reckless pursuit of, of their agenda and we can call that the deep state, the police state, or the Biden regime, whatever you want to call it, in their agenda, that they didn't take into account the fact that my wife and I, for 15 years, have been forming these children, have homeschooled these children, protecting their innocence, keeping them away from worldliness, and, and giving them the structure in the home that, that we desire for their lives. And the government, in their rash decision, to egregiously come to my home after I said I would come to them. No harm needed to be done to my family. They came anyway, and they stole the innocence of my children in an instant. Now, this has to be brought to light. The government needs to be accountable to these actions so that they don't do it to somebody else. The king has sovereign immunity in our country, but when the king does things he shouldn't do, and he abuses his power, there are mechanisms in place, and this is why we have this lawsuit, to hold him accountable. And so we will do that, and that's that's our goal. Yeah, it was a dangerous and even dastardly thing that was done to you and your family. And uh, here in the, in the Cleveland and Northeast Ohio, there are a lot of people, tens of thousands, uh, hundreds of thousands, who have their roots in former communist countries. Uh, people who have listened to this radio station know that that's my experience. And uh, so uh, those kind of folks, we, we look back at this and, boy, we see the, uh, we see the KGB playbook just <laughs> being played out. And uh, it, it, it's almost by the book of what members of our families have experienced in other countries that have since thrown off that system. And yet your family has experienced it here in what we would hope is the most God-blessed and sovereign nation on the face of the earth. 
Well, the Jack Boot style raid is exactly as you describe. And, you know, I've given talks since the uh, acquittal, and there's been people there who've lived in the Iron Curtain, uh, you know, Poland and Austria. And these people almost have to walk out of the, the room because it brings so much back to them. And they said, you know, this is why we, we came to America to escape this. You know, Cardinal Gerhard Mueller came to my home two weeks after the raid, and he reclaimed the home for us and the children. But he said in his German accent, uh, you know, you know tyranny and dictatorships are coming when they wake little, little children in the middle of the night and they arrest their father at gunpoint. This is, this is exactly when that tyranny has arrived. And, and sadly, our country is at that point. And, uh, you know, the world would say, if you saw the movie Police State, the world would say that America is, is, is the last hope. But, you know, frankly, under this uh, Biden administration and where we're at in this country, uh, we are on the brink. We are on the brink, and other people have said that, of, of falling into totalitarianism. And so that's the reality. And people think I'm, you know, that's hyperbole. That is not. That is who we are. That is where we are. And and you could be next. And this is the message that, that we have for people, that just being a faithful Catholic makes you a domestic terrorist, not a pro-life activist. That you just got to be faithful to your faith, and now you're on the list. So um, this is this is really a sad state. Uh, that we're in right now. Yeah, well, we've seen the list. I mean, the list was right out there from the FBI, and that's that's been acknowledged. So, yeah, we uh, there are uh, flashbacks, maybe, uh, you know, the appropriate word here, but many, many people in, in the Northeast Ohio, Cleveland area, who, uh, as, as we've been discussing, have those kind of roots in a totalitarian system, they rub their eyes and shake their heads, and they say, I can't believe this is happening in in my country, and particularly uh, Christians, Catholics, and other people of faith in, in those former communist countries are the ones who were targeted as well. Uh, we're with Mark Houck here on AM 1260, The Rock, Cleveland Catholic Radio, special program for you, and we're, uh, we're, we're honored that you've come on with us here, Mark, in your, your trip to Cleveland. Uh, let's track back a little bit in your life. You've been very active in the pro-life movement. This is not uh, new to you for what, what, like nigh on 20 years or so, just roughly. Um, you know, you've been speaking, uh, uh, particularly about the role of men. You've speak to teenagers, and this very much meshes with the the message that Life Works Ohio. The reason you're here in Cleveland to to speak at that uh, a fundraiser uh, for Life Works Ohio, which for more than 20 years has been doing much the same thing: sixth, seventh, and eighth graders teaching about life, the sanctity of life, the development of human life. Uh, chastity, all these sort of things. Uh, how how did you uh, begin to uh, uh, come into this uh, uh, field and, and then uh, develop such a, um, you know, uh, an effective way of uh, presenting it to young people? Sure. Well, look, my dad passed away when I was 11 years old. And, and uh, you know, you grew up with a, without a father, right? So uh, that's that's the origin, if you will, of crisis in masculinity in my life. And so as you come of age and you don't have that mentor there, you have a good mother, you have have a couple uh, older siblings, but they really don't have that formation themselves. What is a young man left to do? He, well, he, if he's not fostered in the way that he should and raise a child up in the way he shall go and then older, he will not stray. If he's not getting that uh, biblical principle, you know, the world's going to give it to him. And sadly, that's what happened to me, regrettably. And uh, for about 10 years, you know, I, I, I struggled with worldliness, uh, pursuing a, you know, high achievement in athletics, and there's nothing wrong with athletics, but 
but but the disproportionate uh, focus on that and really an underdevelopment of my spirituality and underdevelop of myself emotionally and um, and then it went into the world and so at around mid 20s I recognized that this wasn't good and I started working with youth and uh, working with young adult ministry and and I was bringing the life-saving messages of chastity and uh, to these kids and then I even brought it to a juvenile delinquent population as well and seeing the great need there. I started volunteering with the pro-life movement. I connected the dots between the two, and I saw that the chastity movement was the solution to the pro-life uh, culture of, you know, the culture of death, I should say. So, um, pro-life dilemma. But uh, nonetheless, uh, I saw also a tremendous gap as I was working with this youth with the men and a lack of men standing up for such things. And so we decided to launch a full-time outreach in 06 to really address this crisis in masculinity. And uh, for 20 years, you know, uh, we really have uh, been pursuing uh, helping fathers be better fathers and, and passing along this message to their children and, and encouraging them through small men's groups are all around the country and the world and uh, bringing men on retreat and getting them excited about all the things that uh, we know to be true as our, in, our, in our gifting as men. So um, that's a little bit of the story there. Uh, if you want to drill down, I can. And that's the King's Men. And, and so just real quickly right. for our listeners, how can they uh, familiarize themselves with it online? Sure, they can go to thekingsmen.org, and uh, we're a 501c3 nonprofit organization that has been around since '04. But you know, we, we launched as a as a nonprofit in '06, so we we got a lot there, and uh, we're happy to help anyone that's interested. Yeah, Mark, you talk about pressures on on young people, and uh, so when when you began this, and you said around the mid 2000s, um, yeah, it was tough then. It, it sure was. But we're, we're talking 15, say 18 years later. It it has uh, my estimation, astronomically become more difficult to reach young people just because of the, the, the magnitude of the social pressure through social media and all these other things sure. that even were unimaginable 15 years ago have just jumped in everyone's faces. And so you're, you're fighting, you mentioned culture of death, you're fighting just a, a culture of nihilism, a culture of who knows what. And uh, you, you know, you're a guy in the in, pitched in the battle and asking other men to join you in this battle. So, man, how do we how do we equip ourselves and and even get a get a toehold on this thing? Sure. Well, look, you know, one, one man, one soul at a time. After I was arrested, I had a man reach out to me from Middle America, heartland of America, and said, you know, "I'm a lousy Catholic, but seeing what's happening to you is bringing me back to the church." So when we look at these these numbers and we look at the problem and you know the epidemic pandemic type problems as it relates to fatherhood and all that and you know you really just have to look at it through the lens of the next soul that God blesses you with an encounter uh, and so and so that's how we approach it you know one man at a time and so you know you really can't fix the the deluge of the social media that that you, all you can do is avoid that all you can do is encourage people to disconnect. And that's the hardest thing for men, I think, today, is, is disconnecting from, from that. And, you know, we take men away in the wildernesses all around the country, and, you know, that's, that's intentional, so that they, they really are forced to really, really come away from the world. And, and the problem is this, this, this evil into their home. Uh, 
Sadly, they give their children cell phones. Sadly, they, they have Internet access on these phones to these kids. Sadly, they, they let them watch cable TV and things they shouldn't be watching. You know, so, so men really need to look at themselves and say, have I caused this problem? I think the, the most of the, the lion's share of the problems with young people today does fall on men because God created us to protect women and children and the common good. And so if we're seeing that not happening, well, then we have to look at the men in the society. Show me the men in society. I'll tell you what kind of society you have. The church is only as strong as its men. And I learned something not that long ago, Dick, but you are really, and we really challenge men in this area, you are really the average of the five men you hang out with. Hmm. So every man that hears me today and tonight, if you know, you think about those five men that, that you hang out with. Are they building you up? Are they seeking and pursuing holiness? Are they trying to be better fathers or husbands? Are they trying to pursue a relationship with God? If they're not, you've got to get rid of them. You got to get them out of your fire team, and you got to get people in there that can build you up. And you being one of them, if you're the guy that's not building other guys up, then you need to start assessing yourself. And so that's that's kind of how we approach it. Yeah, Mark, it sounds very much like uh, what, what a close friend told me on the night of the Ohio election uh, was that look, uh, we we have to do what we do, and we're going to do this one person at a time, one soul at a time, one woman at a time. Uh, right. y- you look out at it, and it's just such a, va- a vast problem. And um, I suppose if you look at it the way you do and the king's men do, is that uh, you're accountable for yourself first, and then let's uh, have one other guy. And uh, it- it'll take a while, but I- I'm I'm hearing from you that it would be effective, right? Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's God's plan, right? So how can it be ineffective? The problem is, is we... We want what we want. You know, we like our sin. You know, we're attached to our sin, you know, and that's why some of this Exodus 90s type stuff is very mm-hmm. positive for yeah. men, for them to, to surround themselves with a fraternity that can challenge them and strengthen them. That's iron sharpening iron, Proverbs 27, 17. So it's a classic example of how we, we move to be, uh, you know, uh, look at Jesus' uh, 12 apostles, you know, how we move as a group of men. Men do well when they run in a pack. And so, you know, we, we're, we're not lone wolves out there. We need to be together with others. And Jesus showed us that model, and he even had his fire team with Peter, James, and John. So he invested even more deeply in those men. But then you need to surround yourself with that band of brothers. And that's exactly the model he gave us. It's what he needed, uh, but it's also the model for us as men. So again, a lot of guys struggle with this. They, they struggle they just you know, getting out of their comfort zone, inviting another man into their life, maybe even mentioning something that might be difficult for them. And, you know, men just got to get themselves out of the way. You know, they just have to get out of the way. Their problem is themselves. Uh, and that's really the, the heart of the problem, is a man needs to be able to face himself. How does a man more properly do that? Well, he needs to be going to confession, right, because I don't really help him. But he's not even doing that. So how do we help him? Well, he needs to be convicted by a man in his life, who he respects, right? And so if we have those people in our lives, um, you know, we are challenged to fraternally correct and rebuke. And so this is part of the journey. Uh, unfortunately, there's no real good school in this, right? I don't know of a formation program that offers men this. Not the Catholic school, not even the Catholic Church, for that matter. We needed to develop this ourselves. That's one of the reasons why we started the King's Men. Yeah, yeah. and the hardest thing for a man to do is say, is say hey, I was wrong, or I'm off the track, or I shouldn't be doing this. That mm-hmm. that self-assessment is, uh, you know, it can be brutal, and 
uh, evasive for most men, as, as you uh, correctly pointed out. Interestingly, the, the fellow that I talked to the night of the Ohio election, he was an Exodus 90 brother. So, you know, uh, and uh, through, you're right, through groups like what you started with the King's Men, there's nothing wrong, Mark, with, with a, a guy hanging out with another guy and saying, hey, man, I, 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 I got I to gotta fix this in my life. What do you think? Especially if it's, if it's another strong man. That, that's a manly thing to do, I would think. Well, it takes humility. It is yeah. family, but it takes it takes tremendous amount of humility. And, uh, you know, the, the culture, and again, the me- think of the messaging that men get. It used to be seven touches till you moved to yeah. something and yeah. did something. Now it's like 30, right? So think of all the message that men are getting daily that is unwanted and unsolicited. And that messaging is hard to compete with. So you start to provide messaging, which is you need another man in your life. You need to be accountable, whatever. Uh, that's going to not be heard very well when he's hearing uh, all the things that Hollywood wants to tell him. So he really needs to detach himself. And this takes a lot of discipline to do that. It takes a lot of energy. And frankly, men don't have it because they're investing in so many other things. And, uh, and that's really draining them and, and really sucking the life out of them, for sure. Um, you know, look, look at football. I played football. I played college football. Right? Right. I was scouted by the New England Patriots. Okay, I love organized sports. I've coached for years. But just look at the drain on the, on the, the man on, on a, any given Sunday. The drain that is him sitting in front of a TV when he should be enjoying life with his wife and his children. Now, can you invite them into that experience? Sure. Is it more forced for, for a lot of families because dad wants to do this? Probably. Mm-hmm. The reality is, is like, that is a drain, and he really needs to find I, I haven't watched a, a full football game in probably uh, 15 years. So I, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm just saying, like, I recognize that this was taking me away from focusing on developing myself and loving others and loving my wife and children who are not interested in watching this stuff. So guess what a man needs to say, whether it's golf, like, hey, I golf every week, right? Not me. But let's say he golfs every week. Well, that's at least four to six hours of his time, yeah. right? And he wants yeah. to hone his golf game. Well, what is, what, what's the downside of that? What, 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 is, what is going to, in his life, become affected by that? And I think men really need to assess that, do that positive self-assessment, say, in the, in the eternal equation, in the, in, the, in the grand scheme of life, in eternity, is my golf game going to make an ounce of difference when it comes to my judgment? Yep. Absolutely not. Will my uh, focus on sports and pro uh, pro sports going to affect my judgment at, at all? Absolutely not. It is the people you love and who are put in your care and custody that you need to think about more. And I think this is a hard message for men to hear today, isn't it? Sure it is. And uh, the culture tells you everything different, and there are so many distractions. And you mentioned, you know, tuning out. Oh, my gosh. And it's not only the young people who, who have their noses in their phones all day long. Um, sure. You know, p- plenty of men do that as well. And, and in, the, in the summary of the equation, not for the good either. You know, it, it, it's sure. a useful tool, but it has also become, um, it has also become a, a, a tool of evil if, if one lets it become that. And, uh, well, here's, here's a very important point to make to what you just said. Most men have their phones on. We take it wherever we go. And the four Bs would be the bedroom, the bathroom, the basement, and uh, any place, the vacuum, you know, to buy yourself. 
Yep. And and this is where men fall into problems, right? So we need to we need to eliminate that. And and again, the brotherhood will challenge you that way. You're by yourself. Guess what? You're just going to continue to do what you do. And then and then Sally, God knows this. This is why He said it's not good for man to be alone, right? So um, He has He has some insight under this for us. Sure does, Mark Hauk, It's just been a pleasure. Thank you. We we appreciate sure. you coming on here on uh, Cleveland Catholic Radio with us with a, a very important message, pro life. Uh, uh, staying the course, remaining faithful, and particularly the message that you had today for men. I uh, I would encourage everyone to go to thekingsmen.org uh, and check that out. And um, again, we're, we're grateful to you. We wish God's blessings to you and to your wife and all your children. And uh, believe me, here at The Rock, we're with you. We're with you all the way, Mark. Amen. Thanks, Dick. Look forward to seeing you tonight. Come You've on. been listening to a special program here on AM 1260, The Rock, Cleveland Catholic Radio. Our producer is Dan Dealey. I'm Dick Russ. Our guest has been Mark Hauk, and we thank you most of all for listening.